Your Working Life, a show that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a career and executive coach, and on today's show, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Haley Fisher Wright. Dr. Haley, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, Carolyn. We're going to dive into a juicy conversation, and you're going to tell us more about your journey as a physician executive and also being a woman leader. So, Haley, tell me a little bit more about the challenges of jumping from a physician role to an executive and how that really applies to any industry. Because I understand that you were practicing pediatrics for 20 years, so you were certainly enjoying your career as a physician. Absolutely. I think the challenge, the challenges, I think when I was young in my career, I didn't feel like there were any challenges. I thought that there was very much uh, equal footing. And in medicine, even when I went into medicine, the statistics were it was about 50% women, 50% men. It wasn't until I started to achieve the leadership ranks that it became much more clear to me that there were challenges in regards to women versus men. And by that, I don't mean that there were conscious challenges. I think there were a lot of unconscious biases and a lot of things that you would hear kind of in the back room or catch a bit of a conversation in regards to the differences between men and women, um, their work style, their, their time in their lives as far as child rearing, things like that, that were always present, if not explicitly set in conversations. So true. And it's really oddly comforting to hear that it is pervasive in in all work fields. So it's certainly alive and well. And you've been navigating that journey and have so much wisdom to share. So you, in addition to have having this great career as um, a medical professional, you've been a healthcare executive and a business consultant, and now you're president and CEO of Medical Group Management Association. So talk to me. You're very clear when it comes to working with employees, Haley, that you don't mentor, you sponsor. And I love that. Explain the difference. Yeah, I think men, so when I, so I, I had the privilege of going to coach school at Georgetown. And when I went through, um, one of your roles as a coach could be to set up mentoring programs in organizations. And I was trained as an executive leadership coach. So the goal was to set these up in corporations. The challenge with mentorship programs, especially in this day and age, even more so than when I went through coaching school, is that um, that millennials that, that sets you up of I'm the mentor and you're the mentee so that there's a power dynamic and it tends to be somewhat passive. So in a traditional mentor relationship and, and in a lot of ways, you know, I come out of an industry healthcare where mentor relationships were very dominant as a methodology to motor, to motor through your career. Um, we would expect someone to be the mentor. They would give career advice. Mm. If you had problems, you could go to them. But they weren't really engaged in actively promoting your career. What I advocate for and what, what is getting a lot of attention for is what I call sponsorship, which is a much more engaged, active um, uh, methodology than than um, mentorship is and what I mean by that is and particularly for female executives what I'm looking for when I'm looking to sponsor someone is I want to I want to make sure that I'm sponsoring someone that I can 
basically I believe in, that I see their potential, and that I can put them in opportunities to, to for them to grow. I can promote them, and I don't mean promote as in along the career path, but I can promote them as individuals in certain arenas that I am actually actively engaged in really pushing their career along. So I'm committed to their career. And Haley, would you agree that the the talent, right, those that are being sponsored can't raise their hand and say, hey, I'd like a sponsor. You've got to earn that. It's really an opportunity to be seen and heard by virtue of the great work that you do. Absolutely. It's funny. When I was in business school, I had a professor say, it all boils down to trust and communication. And I think sponsorship uh, successful sponsorship relationships really do boil down to trust and communication. You have to have excellent communication. You have to trust that it's a re- there's some reciprocity in that relationship, so it's a healthy relationship, and that you are promoting someone that you can personally stand behind. They are, in effect, drafting off of your career potential. And so there has to be a healthy amount of respect in that relationship and and knowledge that in a certain way, you're vulnerable, but in another way, in promoting someone else, you're you're building your own career path, too. I so agree. I was delighted to hear you talk about your experience uh, in coach school, right, and, and learning uh, the methodology, the principles, the theory behind coaching. And I'm so pleased that we are moving the needle now away from what I call command and control leadership, which was a very old traditional corporate model, to the coaching leadership model, which is really developmental and how we can grow and groom high potential and future leaders. Did you get a glimpse of that? that in coach school? Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's funny, I entered into business school about the tail end of the uh, kind of the commanding control leadership style. And really, uh, the work that I did when when my consulting company wrote the book Tribal Leadership really was at the vanguard of when we saw that rise of a much more, I would say, relationship focus, influence focus type of leadership within organizations what we now know is frankly our millennials our gen xers will not tolerate command and control leadership they'll just leave so it's not only do i think that it is the um, most effective from a business outcomes type of leadership but actually really interestingly it's where i think women in particular excel in their personal leadership is through more of an influence and developmental strategy as opposed to power dynamics. Oh, that's a, that's a great illustration. Well done. So you were in a pinnacle role as a CEO and president of the Medical Group Management Association, yet we still have so few women in high leadership roles. So you are an extraordinarily effective leader in these situations. How do we bring more women into the leadership tent? Well, you know, it's funny. I've I actually view healthcare and the tech industry to, to run along parallel tracks. I think healthcare is probably a little further advanced than technology for the mere reason that 70 to 80% of people who work in healthcare are women, and yet only 20 to 25% of our executives are women. So it's a little bit different than technology, but I think some of the same psychology applies in the sense that there are unconscious biases. Yeah. And we, we need to be able to call those out. And then the other part is be consciously aware of, of really cultivating diversity. There was a great article in the Wall Street Journal this weekend that 
the thing about diversity isn't that it's just nice or convenient. It actually has a tremendous outcome on our business accountabilities and our business results. So diversity is incredibly healthy for our organizations, but you have to be very conscious and conscientious about adding that diversity because it's not our inherent kind of go-to place. As human beings, we like to hire ourselves. Mm, yeah. And, and we see that generation, and what I mean generation, I mean year after year with the board or something like that. Instead, we really have to have a, you know, come to an alignment on what our commitment to diversity is within our organization. And then we have to actively promote it and hire for it. You said something so, so um, articulate in the book. Don't play a role that you think you should play, but play to your strengths. Can you expand upon that? Yeah. You know, it's funny when I went through school, um, so I had a, I've had a very um, asynchronous career, I think is the best way to put it. And one of the things that as you go through traditional school education here in the United States, we tend to get taught, focus on your weaknesses mm. and, and your strengths will play out. So the example I often give when I speak is no one said to me, you got an A in creative writing, but you got a C in algebra. You really need to spend more time creative writing because that's what you're good at. It was, look, Creative writing isn't important, but you know math is really important, so we need you to spend more time there. And that's an attitude that we've taken through, our, most of us have taken through our adulthood. And yet, interestingly, we can all be world-class if we choose, if we focus on our strengths and develop our strengths. And so when, when I work with our executives and, and the team that I cultivated just here at MGMA, um, and even the team that we used when we wrote the book, Back to Balance, which I built a team around it was what is your strength? What is you? Where is your best and highest way that you can contribute? And that's where people get joy because they're working in their strengths. People love to work in their strengths. They don't like to work where they're weakest because it's, it's not where they can be successful. Well, and you and I both know as leaders and as coaches, we're not broken. So, you know, we mitigate the strengths, but we focus, pardon me, we mitigate the weaknesses, but we focus on our strengths because that gives us energy and joy. And frankly, we do that really well. So why not fine tune that and sharpen it even more? Absolutely. I I cannot agree with you enough. So Haley, you are incredibly self-actualized and, and so thoughtful in your leadership, but you did share vulnerably that you thought in the beginning that you had to be assertive and aggressive. How did you come to terms with that? You know, it's, and I would say that's part of that is maturity. Uh, you know, I started my executive career in my early thirties and I'm, I'm now uh, a couple decades after that. But I think the other thing is when I started, I was, you know, like I mentioned, it was kind of at the head of power dynamic leadership. And, and I didn't feel powerful just to be very transparent. So I thought, here's how I have to act to be a good leader. And it was very, you know, dominant and decisive, and it cut people off. And it, and honestly, it, it isolated me as a leader. And what I what I kept thinking is, I don't understand why I'm not being successful to the extent that I, I really want to be. Um, that I think we can't, the team could be, there's something missing. And I think it took some time to really figure out what was missing was actually within me as far as being able to be authentic in my leadership and lead from who I am as opposed to who I think I should be. And, And that took time to develop and feel confident and comfortable in doing that. 
Such courage, too. And and what a great role model for so many millions of people out there listening. Let's talk about the book. It's called Back to Balance, The Art, Science, and Business of Medicine. So, Haley, who's the ideal audience? You know, healthcare is such a hot career field right now. I imagine that the audience is broad and diverse. You know, it's funny. I when I When I wrote the book, I really thought, it should be for everyone because healthcare touches everyone. And yeah. I do think in a certain way, it could touch everyone. I'm really speaking at, about the book now to two major audiences. Number one are people in healthcare, because I'd like a lot of people in healthcare are feeling disenfranchised and disenchanted. They went into healthcare to help people and that's not what they're experiencing right now. And I wrote the book to say, we can. there's hope out there and there are ways to do things differently that will actually make you happier and people happier. But then the other audience I wrote it for was for consumers, because I thought it was really important to pull back that curtain and expose what actually is going on behind the, if you will, the front office, so that people could understand that um, it's not just their doctor's office that's broken, but our systems are broken, and that they have rights, responsibility, and actually a pretty important role on making things better for everybody. So help me understand back to balance. What does that mean in particular? Well, what I write about in the book is that for the last really 40 years, business has driven medicine. So it hasn't been relationship focused, which is the art. It hasn't been necessarily science focused. It's it's science is there, but it's really business. If you take a look at every if you take a look in healthcare what most people are unhappy about, you can say, okay, my insurance is this, my copay is that, the regulatory burden is this. All of that really does have to do around the business of medicine. And as the CEO that represents the organization that is the business of the medical practice, I would say that the United States has not a healthcare policy, but actually a healthcare finance policy. So that business is just woven into everything that we do in the medical practice. It's the leader. And really, since business has taken over as driving medical practice, what we've seen is a lot of dissatisfaction. But more importantly, we've seen higher costs, lower satisfaction, lower quality, and disenchanted providers. And what I'm saying as the leader of the organization that represents the business of the medical practice is only if we can bring balance back, put science and balance with art and business, are we going to get to the outcomes that we want. So beautifully put. Again, quite a diverse audience. So I agree with you. It, it has a, a broad and deep appeal. So Haley, as we wrap up, you have so much wisdom to share. But if you could distill it down to one piece of advice for the podcast show today, what might that be for the emerging leader who's entering that new leadership opportunity? You know, if I, to, if I could give one piece of advice, it's to be yourself. Yourself is more than enough for anything that you need to do. And if you learn to be authentic to yourself, you will be successful on your own terms. Beautifully put. Dr. Haley Fisher-Wright, thank you so much for joining me today on Your Working Life. Your incredible book, again, called Back to Balance, The Art, Science, and Business of Medicine is available on Amazon. But even more importantly, it's in airport bookstores nationwide. So excited about that. As a savvy traveler, I get a lot of my books in those airport stores. So thank you for that. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. 
Thank you, Carolyn. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review and let us know what career-related questions you have so we can address them on a future show. You can tweet me at cdowdhiggins or send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. I'm Caroline Dowdhiggins. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.